I'm Sarah. I'm Stephanie. Ooh, backwards. I know. And I'm Mary Angela. Yay! Yay! And this is Dead Time Stories. Episode 97. 97. Coming to you from, uh, you know, quarantine at Mary Angela's house. Quarantine Corona. (laughs) We're not quite at quarantine yet, but I mean, you know, we're 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 on a good, a good solid lockdown. Yeah, I mean, I, we're really, I'm not going anywhere other than home, the trails, and the grocery store. My job is opening up again next week. It's such, it's so crazy. Well, it'll already be open by the time this comes out. Oh my gosh. Maybe. Who knows? It changes every day. Send prayers to Stephanie because uh, her company's still making her work. Send your thoughts and prayers, which is more than what my bosses are giving me. And if you have extra Lysol or hand sanitizer, go ahead oh and put those God, in the mail too. Just send those our way. I'll take it. Absolutely. I just settled for toilet paper. Every bathroom in our house only has one roll left, and I'm getting nervous. Oh, you were not. You got to consolidate. <laughs> See, and we we shop at BJ's, so that's something we already had in bulk. So I once I heard all these issues about the toilet paper, I, t- I was like, "How many do we have left?" And we had like about 20 rolls left <laughs> last I checked. And like, but oh, that I'm was good. that was a few days ago, and now I think we're down to 18. Um, now you have to remember I'm in a house with all people. I was like, you're in a yeah. house with all people who, who use it to pee. Every time exactly. Right. That's yeah. what I have to remind people. And they're like, how do you go through toilet paper so fast? I'm like, I'm in a house of three people who all sit to pee. There I had go. this exact conversation with Charlie and his roommate. And they were like, what? You only have four rolls? And I was like, yeah, I should be worried. They're like, what? And I'm like, I use it every I time. use it every time I go every to the time. bathroom. <laughs> every time I go to the bathroom. I use, I use Not paper. just when it's super necessary. So like, Every time. I mean, well, it is, is super bonus. necessary every time. I have a dudes. So I guess maybe I'm Okay. Right. Like, oh, I'm the only one who sits to pee in this house. Just give him some food that makes him constipated for a few days. You can ride it out a little while longer. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. We're we're gonna see how this goes. Um, but I hope everyone else is doing okay. Hope you're still tuning in. Yeah. And bring you our three star Corona content. Corona content. You have all the time in the world to listen now. Did you see that somebody hit up our Facebook? Then sent us several messages. Yes. They were so sweet. I have not responded yet. They were right. And same. Like, thank you. I appreciate you. I, well, I'll probably respond before this comes out, but we really um, appreciate we, you. We appreciate you. It's just, you understand, it's crazy right now. It's crazy. And when I'm on my computer, it's mainly to like tackle work things, which have been really hard to do remote and really weird. So then it's like, I don't want to be on social media right now. I need to like take a step back. Right. Go outside, go for a walk. But I appreciate you. They said that they're doing like 30 hours of driving for oh whatever they're gosh. doing for their job and that they were on like episode 20 something Aww. and hey who knows don't so worry it goes the downhill they, okay. by the time they hear this episode they'll like, be over us it'll be you know after the apocalypse nobody will have power anymore by the time they get to this episode and they'll be like I gotta listen to my stupid dead time stories <laughs> I need that three star content I gotta listen to them they're dead now and oh um, no <laughs> and this is all I have left of them this is all I have left this isn't a ghost fart yeah so uh, Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for chugging along. Uh, here we are. We're so excited to have Mary Angela back with us again. 
Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. How are you feeling? Are we sufficiently socially distanced from one another? I do. I feel sufficiently socially distanced. I mean, I don't have a measuring stick, but I'd say we're at least all six feet apart. Oh, we, oh. we are definitely not six feet apart, you and I. Should I not be sitting in Stephanie's lap? And maybe, <laughs> I was like, maybe our heads are six feet apart, which is the important part because it's a respiratory disease. Exactly. Um. But yeah, and you and I aren't facing each other, so we're not breathing on each other. So yeah. I guess that's helpful. And we're all using the same mics that we used before, so we're not, you know, spreading yeah. germs out. Oh, I swapped I all of our it. mics around, and I licked them. I was going to say I licked them. <laughs> I was going to say I licked them. I knew it, you Aww, bitch. I, I was going to say I licked one it. Oh, no, I licked it. <laughs> I also licked all of Eric's guitars. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Good thing he doesn't listen. I know. <laughs> he would, he would have He'll a fit. never he know. <laughs> Um. All right. Well, I Let's, we might as well just dive into it, you guys. Cause yeah, we're not getting any younger or any less. We all have homes to go hide in right now. <laughs> True so. story. Uh, Sarah, Stephanie, Mary, Angela, y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Um. Yes, and no again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, same. <laughs> well, fuck. Sorry. Uh, I just keep bringing you Fair stuff that's enough. not ghosts. Next times, I promise, I'll I'll come on and talk about ghosts. Uh, I wanted to continue talking about people who have disappeared, and uh, on this episode, I wanted to do a little more of a deep dive into some of the cases that I found that really interest me. That I'm just like, that's some weirdness, and I don't know what's going on there. Um, if you recall, last week I was talking all about um, just you know how there's different kinds of disappearances things that can be chalked up to like stupid human error or like you know mother acts of mother nature or there are some things that are like totally supernatural like maybe it was aliens or that you know town that disappeared into the crack in the ground which we're pretty sure was like the rapture that only or took lizard them. people or lizard people right strong strong argument for lizard people. Those. why not both oh, right very true could be yeah probably um so the ones i found are ones that have uh, a lot of theories uh, behind them. They could be kind of one of a lot of things, um, which I think is really cool. And there's a lot of sort of information around them. Uh, before I get into the three that I've picked to discuss, uh, I forgot my most famous, my most favorite, not famous, but my most favorite find of the missing stories that I forgot to tell you all last week. Oh we were, my god! We, we, we were a little pressed and I shuffled him to the back because I was like, I'm going to save him for last. And then we were all like, gotta go meetings. And I totally forgot uh, to Working mention him. Home. Right. Uh, so I wanted to talk about Frank Morris and he is one one of the three men who escaped from Alcatraz and was never seen again. So just for some reference, there are 36 inmates who tried to escape from Alcatraz during the days of this prison. And of them, all but three were found, um, either like shot and killed, found, or drowned, found. Um, either way, found all of them, except for these three. And they were presumed dead. They were presumed like, okay, yeah, we they drown. We haven't done their story, but their story is a really Alcatraz good story. It's pretty general. great. And you should definitely go deep. I did not do a deep dive into this one. So like I would say come back and look into it because just from the stuff I found, I'm like, it would have been really easy to go into it. But that's oh, yeah. a whole episode for sure. Um, what fascinated me about it was these weren't even the three that started the plan. Um, Frank was considered the mastermind, but... It was like with like five or six other inmates who then, for whatever reasons, one by one sort of dropped out of the plan. And it ended up just being these three guys who were like, we're doing this. Like, we're going to make this happen and we're going to do it. 
And basically, uh, it was, what was the year? It was... Uh, 1962 so in june the 60s yeah it was the 60s um and basically they think they drowned like an assumption because of you know how hard it is to swim but they never found anything which is weird because the other ones who had definitely drowned um even if they didn't find their body they found like a shoe or you know a piece of clothing or something that gave them evidence of like yep this belonged to these guys and they're definitely dead and sunk to the bottom of this what is it a channel between Alcatraz and San Francisco? A bay? It's a bay. Is, I was like, bay, it's not a bay, it's a channel, because Alcatraz cha- is just an island. Right. right, and so and water moves pretty quickly by it, right? Sure yeah. do. So, yeah, so uh, with all the other people that had drowned, yeah, bodies were found, or parts of them were found, or things that left, you know, evident, they definitely drowned. But with these three, not a single thing. So they were like, hmm, it's not impossible that they escaped but it's not necessarily probable that they escaped Mm -hmm. however there was a letter that uh was sent to the san francisco police department in 2013 and it was supposedly written by john anglin who was one of the three that escaped and it went on to claim that he and his brother morris uh, and and uh, frank uh, had all escaped from alcatraz in june of 1962 albeit barely, and he said they were, or said he was, 83 years old and had cancer. And he went on to explain that Morris had died in 2008 and that his brother had died in 2011. So they had all grown up to be old men and lived their life, and this guy was like, well, I'm the last, and I'm dying of cancer, so I might as well tell you. Tell you what we, we did. did. <laughs> we we escaped from Alcatraz. Now, and there was no way to prove that he no... was that guy? There's no fingerprints or DNA or anything? It was only the 60s. I know. They wouldn't have had DNA. They might have had fingerprints. Mm-hmm. They definitely would have had fingerprints. Well, they definitely still have the paper mache dummy head that he made of himself because yep. those are still on display. Yep. They yeah. got real arts and craftsy they sure to get did. out of there. Good for them. Yeah. Have you know that whole story? I don't know the whole story. I just know, yeah, I was like that some people escaped. Like, oh like my gosh. People, oh, yeah, their story like, is pretty like, cool. It's like the, really cool. the way they went about getting out of there is pretty neat. And I don't want to give away a whole bunch because you should definitely I mean, I've seen do an rock. episode about it. Yeah. <laughs> I know Sean Connery way got out of there. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> Way cooler than that, for sure. And then Sean Connery broke himself and Nicolas Cage back in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, did they so, also make mannequins of themselves to get it? They, Ferris Bueller their way out of didn't, it. They didn't. They didn't. They were the first Ferris Bueller's. Yep. Ferris Bueller got his idea from them. And honestly, that's super smart. Like, really put put themselves. You know, a dumb. It's me. If the guy. I mean, a guard's not gonna like poke you and make sure it's you. You know what I mean? They're gonna be like this place. You can't break out of this place. Why would why would that not be you in the bed? But yeah, no, it was impressive. So definitely do a story on that. But I found it really neat. And who knows if the old guy with cancer was really them or if he was just somebody who was like, I want to die famous. I was like, well, he took credit for so, it. I to Bill Rothstein it. I'm going to say that it was me. Yeah. Who knows? But you know what? That's what I'm going to do on my deathbed. I'm going to take the claim for some crazy, crazy thing. Be like, it was me. Why Even not? Even though it wasn't me. So uh, the next person that I wanted to talk to you guys about um, is one of my favorite people to talk about because the theories behind what happened to this person are so amazing to me and that uh, I've talked about this before in other podcasts. I won't name them, but because they don't do a 
exchange of <laughs> promos with you guys, but I did talk about them before and it's Amelia Earhart. And what I find really interesting about her disappearance is that there's so many different possibilities. Um, and, and there's some that are really glaring that are like, yep, this is most likely what happened. But there are others where it's like, well, you can't also disclaim this. So just for reference, tell me the basics of what you know about Amelia Hart. You'll probably know what most people think know about her. She went to sail across the ocean and then they lost track fly. of her. Oh, yeah. She you know, <laughs> sail through the air across the ocean um, and then disappeared. But wasn't it like a few years ago, a photograph surfaced that potentially showed her over in like Asia or another island? So no one really knows. But they, I know that did they find a, her plane? She was a pretty young, accomplished pilot. Yeah. Um. So like it was she wasn't inexperienced because some people are just like she didn't know what she was doing. And I'm like, uh, no, that's not accurate. Um. But I had always heard as a kid, like Bermuda Triangle theories <laughs> that like she disappeared flying was over it the a, Bermuda Triangle. She was doing she a transatlantic flight. She was not. It was the Pacific. She was oh, flying. Okay. Yeah, so here's see, the thing. I, wrong fucking ocean. I don't know. <laughs> no, but this is why I asked because there's so much that people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know. And it's interesting. I'm just like, she disappeared and she had, and she was flying. It's interesting what each of you said because we'll get to it. Come back to that picture. Ask me about it in a, in a few minutes because I'll answer that. Uh, to answer you, it was definitely the Pacific Ocean. But interestingly enough, interestingly enough, it should have been the Atlantic because when she had originally scheduled to go, she was going to go around the earth starting with the pacific go around that way and would have ended across the atlantic which probably would have put her fairly bermuda triangly close um, maybe not right across that way but she would have come that way making the end of her trip the shortest but what happened was her plane had some problems um, they did some test runs in california and it needed work and so they were like you're not ready you're not ready you can't take off right now you'll never survive this trip across the pacific right now so we need to work um, on, and actually, I think it was um, something with like landing gear. She had like some faulty landing gear. And so they fixed it. That set her back by a few months. And because of that, the winds had changed. Yep. So then you can't go the direction she wanted to go anymore because you'd be flying into the wind and that would be a problem. So now she had to go the other direction, which meant starting by going across the Atlantic Ocean and going around the world that way. Um, so that was the first real sort of problem that uh, affected her so by the end um, you can imagine it's a freaking long trip around the world and it's you and your navigator who's by the way an alcoholic so he's it's probably a rough trip you know I mean I'm sure he had alcohol and he wasn't like you know shaky or whatever but he was known to have some problems and um, when it's just you and this other person and you're trying to navigate the world like that's that's kind of a lot the second problem she ran into was that they had equipped her plane with the latest like radio equipment, brand new, high high tech for the time, um, equipment that should have been great, made it very easy to ping ships and and help her navigate and everything. iPhone ten X S L X right <laughs> for for the for the Lockheed Electra that she was flying, and uh, she didn't actually get training on how to use it. So she had this fabulous equipment that probably could have really helped in her situation, but neither her or her navigator knew how to use, use it, it properly. Oof. So that's strike two. Strike three is that she wanted to make the trip 
in record time because that was kind of her thing. She always wanted to, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it so well that like nobody can catch my record, which is great props. Like I understand. Um, Also because of starting the trip later, she needed to finish before the seasons got, you know, really deep. So she ditched a bunch of survival gear out of the plane to make it lighter and easier for them to travel. Mm. And the problem with that is that if you're going to get marooned somewhere and you've ditched all of your survival gear, then you're probably not going to live very long. So those are the big three strikes that I see she had against her. Like, it's kind of like, wow, if all those things had been different, if she had left earlier, if she hadn't ditched her survival gear, if her, you know, navigator wasn't an alcoholic and that they had taken time to learn how to use the equipment that they had, maybe her story would have ended differently. But the basics of what happened was on her way on the last leg, basically she's flying across the Pacific and she's supposed to stop um, on Howland Island, which is about halfway through the Pacific Ocean. And then they'd refuel and then she'd be able to continue on. And if I'm not mistaken, either I think fly the rest of the way back from there or fly to another, like a Hawaiian Island. And then from there back, I'm not, I'm that part's gray. I'm sorry. I didn't look up that deep enough, but the point is she's on the last leg and it's kind of cloudy, which makes calculations for navigation a little bit tricky. And for the best of their knowledge, they think that she was on the right path but maybe off by about 60 miles due to the stars and the horizon and an error of her navigator. So she's broadcasting the whole time, right? She's broadcasting and she's saying, you know, I like, you know, trying to, to radio um, to, there's a ship um, was waiting for her. It was the Itasca. The Itasca was waiting for her right outside Holland Island. That was radioing with her the whole time to be like, when you can see us, the Island's right behind us. This is where you want to go. Like, you know, and they were in communication The problem was she was broadcasting, but having trouble hearing them. Again, not really able to understand her own equipment, which was a problem. So she starts telling them, she's just broadcasting, you know, she's only got like a half hour of gas left. And, you know, she's trying to say, you know, we're running northwest on this line. You know, here's where we're going. And then basically she sort of changes direction a little and it's like okay now I think we've got to be this close to you you we've got to be on you we've got to be on you so now we're gonna because we think we've reached you this way we're gonna do this now like Mm -hmm. zigzag across to try and catch you going that way if we've missed you coming across this way which if they're nowhere near you is basically just yeah exactly using up a lot of gas um, and so then at um, eight seven fifty eight a.m., her transmission said that she couldn't hear the Itasca and asked them to send voice signals so she could try to take a radio bearing. And this transmission was reported by the Itasca as the loudest possible signal, indicating that Earhart and Noonan were in the immediate area, but they couldn't send voice at the frequency she asked for. So Morse code signals were sent instead. Earhart acknowledged receiving these, but said she was unable to determine their direction. Mm-hmm. So she was like, I hear you. And they're like, you're loud. You're like right, right on top here. of us. Right, right. But I mean, in an ocean that's so wide, right. And you're looking for a teeny tiny island and even smaller than that, a teeny tiny ship. And, and she couldn't get lower. Overcast, right. Because, you know, you're trying to cover the more ground, right. You can cover more ground the higher you are, the lower you are. Well, then that's eating up more gas if you're doing this zigzag try to find you situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there was even just flying up higher, you save more gas because you're not 
going yeah. through all the air. Yeah. Down there. That's why planes fly up so high. Fly so high. Yep, exactly. Uh, so her last known transmission was at 8.43 a.m. And Earhart broadcast, we are on the line 157.337. And we will repeat this message. We will repeat this on the whatever, you know, kilobyte cycle that they're broadcasting on. And then she said, wait. And that was it. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, well, we're all wait, still waiting. Right. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, and yeah, what happened? Okay. And what made her uh. say wait? And what was all of that? So, of course, there were contemporary search efforts that took place. You know, boats went out. People tried to find. Now, usually when a plane crashes, something will surface somewhere. Something will wash up. But as we know from Malaysia flight, whatever that was, I don't know the flight number. But Oceanic that, flight that, 815. <laughs> or that one. We're watching Lost right uh, now. <laughs> That sometimes planes just disappear and you don't find wreckage. So um, it's a little unusual for a plane as light as an Electra to not have something show up somewhere but again we're also talking about the pacific ocean and how incredibly vast it was so um there's a lot of speculation about the disappearance um the most common theory obviously is a crash and sink she ran out of gas they crashed they sunk they're gone that's it they're it's over and i would say a good solid like 75 percent of people believe that theory they're like that makes sense that's most likely what happened um I'm from the uh, school of thought (laughs) that she probably didn't crash and sink. She probably did crash somewhere. I mean, I definitely think she crashed. Uh, I think she probably found um, the island of, it's actually called Gardner Island, um, or Nicomororo as it's called now, uh, which was a very small sort of atoll-shaped island, which on the outsides of it has smooth enough strips that you could actually land a plane the way it is. There's like sort of water depression in the middle. The outside of the islands kind of around. You could easily like, you know, skid across it and land your plane. Um, most likely if it was low tide, you could even land your plane a little bit out in the water. Wouldn't even have to be like right on the rocks before you hit there. So I think she definitely landed the plane there because I just don't believe she's the kind of pilot who would have been like, well, this is it. And I'm down. I think she would have tried to find something, anything, even if it wasn't going to be great. Now, if her plane, the Electra, known for faulty, like, what do you call it, um, landing gear, right? That would probably be like, well, I'm going to crash here. Now all I have to do is keep radio signals happening and somebody will find me. But you've got a crashed plane with limited, like, survival gear in it. And the only way you could run a radio from an airplane back then, you know, the only way you could run a radio from an airplane? If the airplane's on, turned on? Yeah. If the, yeah. If the propellers are going. I was like, but if, yeah, I have a feeling that, like, it has to be on, which means it has to be have plugged gas. in. <laughs> right. It has to be going. So um, what's really interesting was when the search efforts started, there were a lot of people with short range and, and or sorry, not short range, long range radios who were picking up transmissions from people that they thought uh, were her. And they would report them. And then people would be like, oh, no, that's not possible, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, no, we've already looked there. Like, you know, and it would say, you know, sort of a a guesstimation of where they thought, talked about how um, the person she was with was injured. A lot of times the there's a a girl, is her name Sally? There was a girl, she was a teenager who wrote down a whole diary of a, a recording or recording of a broadcast she heard. And she talks about how 
you can hear a man's voice and he sounds very confused. And the woman is desperately trying to get him to calm down and trying to get him to sit down and like to stay where they are instead of getting out. Um, and she thinks it might have, there might have been head injuries involved or maybe because he was an alcoholic and he didn't have any booze. Mm-hmm. He was losing Which his mind. Job. It was like a whole thing happening. Um, and years later, decades later, now the people um, who are kind of looking into all this theory have realized that every one of the recorded transmissions falls when low tide was happening at Nicomaroto. So if she had landed just on the coral reef at low tide, she'd been able to start those propellers and broadcast and then high tide, it would have been done. And then most likely they would have left at some point to try and go find shelter. Now there have been all kinds of expeditions to this Island. There have been, you know, um, explorations of you know a scientific nature not necessarily related to this Mm -hmm. that have found some real interesting things on that island Um, they found things like bones which they immediately dismissed as hers because they were like these are men's bones it's like well maybe but unless you do dna testing like how do you actually know if these are men's bones um they found a woman's shoe they found a jar that was used in freckle cream in the time of Amelia Earhart and she was known to actually be really um concerned about her complexion as a pilot because when she would land there'd be all of these photographs and things taken of her so the odds of her actually having a jar of freckle cream are pretty high because it's like yeah homegirl remembered her skincare she did i mean you're gonna be in a she's in like a get rid of the survival guide she's stuff like, but i need my moisturizer i need that snail cream. i need my snail cream girl <laughs> exactly i mean you know priorities. amelia knows she's what's like, up cause girl wasn't right. she like redheaded yep yes. oh yeah girl yes. knew what was up yeah. she was like her i need my sunscreen broad. yeah i need my moisturizer i need my tone no, I, I don't. I don't need I that water it. purifying straw. I, I need it. my snail cream. Right. So the bones were lost for a long time, but recently have resurfaced, and they are actually in the process of doing DNA testing oh, of them bones. to figure out, sort of, you know, if they're related, if it is men's bones, women's bones, like trying to figure it out. So that's pretty exciting, and that's recent. That was as of like six months ago. They were doing that. So I'll be very interested to know what that is my total theory is that yeah that's that's what happened and there was no fresh water and she didn't have her survival supplies so there was no boat for her to float out on not that that would have really helped her but i think survival supplies probably have some way of like filtering water or something i mean one would think but um yeah most likely they starved to death and died now naysayers of this theory um say that it's not possible because um of several reasons but um they're really skeptical about the findings at this sort of campsite because they were like there's also merchants and ships like there's right now there's a, the rotting remains of a basically merchant ship right off the coast of Dick Mororo. so they're like whoever was on that ship could have come on the island and you know tried to live or camp until they were rescued or maybe they did die there like maybe it's one of them um so i mean again plausible but Maybe it's not, but I was like, that's the theory that sticks with me the most, just for my beliefs and the kind of person I think she was. And that whole thing about the radio transmissions of people that were just flat out ignored, or they're like, nah, we've already looked over that. Can't be that. It couldn't be this. No, it's Mm -hmm. not that. Like, so um, back to the picture that you mentioned. Yeah. So they actually traced that picture back to three years before she left. Damn. On the trip. Yeah. So it's been that that picture's already been refuted. Um, it is it is her and it is or 
it's someone who looks a lot like her. Either way, that picture is way too mm-hmm. like recent oh, for it to actually have been her. So people were like, okay. Another picture that has surfaced that I find really interesting is there's a picture of um, that the wreckage there. It was like a cruise ship that was going by Gardner Island at the time. And they were taking a picture of the wreck. And you can see like off to the left, you can see what looks like the wheel from an Electra, from an airplane sticking up, like just kind of sideways. And um, what's really interesting about that is that when her wheel broke off, when they were doing the testing in California and it broke off, it was the exact position in which the wheel landed after the crash. So it was kind of like, well, if you break off a a, a, landing gear of an Electra, this is what it does. The weight of it tilts it over and it looks like this. Um, So that guy who searched for the Titanic right? Whatever his name is. I can't remember his name. He went to the island like two years ago with his deep diving submarine crew and everything and did this whole swash of back and forth. Zigzagging yeah. across the island. Yeah. Where, well, uh, of the, 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 the yeah, the yeah. side where she would have most likely crashed um, and trying to find anything, find that wheel. Cause there was like a storm and then all of a sudden it was gone. That thing is gone. Um, and the picture itself, I think had been from the 60s 50s or 60s was when the picture was from um so he did that couldn't find it um couldn't find uh, a lot of things uh that he was looking for but the challenge is the island because the way it's built is basically land and then it drops off real steep and deep on the outside so like imagine you're a little plane and you're sitting on the shelf right and then a big storm comes by and you get boop tilted out and then all of a sudden you like boop drop fall all the way down you're gonna like tumble you're gonna end up there's all kinds of silt and like you know earth and whatever so also currents because of the way this where this island is currents could whisk that plane you know because it's light it's like an aluminum plane right it's gonna it's gonna go so the fact that he didn't find anything doesn't necessarily make anything uh, mean me sorry mean anything. Um, there's also was an aluminum uh, sort of window piece that they found on the island, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, this is the same kind of aluminum. This is definitely it." And they've had testing, and they're like, "It is. It is the same kind of aluminum." But again, it could have come from a lot of places, and yeah. those merchants and those people that you know sort of traveled through there and explorers and stuff could have could have had it. Could have it come off mean of it's there. Her plane, right? Yeah, um, because it, it's not the exact same kind. Did it have like an etching in it that said Amelia was right. here? Yeah, no, but W U Z. Right. What uh, about the numbers um, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two? None of those things. The they were definitely three. not. What um, about just like four twenty and a peace sign? <laughs> four twenty nine one one. <laughs> yes. She was like, I yes. need it now. She said yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what was there. Um, Amelia had to have her she, skin cream and just, her like, weed. She yep. sounds like she would be our best friend. Yeah. I was just saying, it sounds like you're going to play Amelia Earhart in the uh, biopic. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to write it, too. <laughs> it's going to be my version of Amelia. The <laughs> kind that sketches in Amelia or scratches in Amelia was, was here. here. You should. Definitely you should. Um, some Those other her last words. <laughs> yeah. No, her like, last died. words were, where's my skin cream? <laughs> where's my snail cream? 42911. Uh, there are a bunch of other theories about what happened. Some interesting ones are that the Japanese captured her, which is 
legit and could be potentially true. Uh, I have scurry. A, I have a feeling of if that we really happened, though. With them at the time. We weren't. But I feel like that's why they would tell us that they, they had would her. have like they been would... like, look what we got. Yeah, exactly. How much are you going to give us to, you know. And she has her cream. <laughs> what's this, what's she worth We're to you? And you know, We're we love this. skincare. <laughs> exactly. Um, another one that I thought was really ridiculous was that she was a spy for FDR. Um, so there was a, a why theory. is that ridiculous? Women can be spies. It's true, but um, I just I think <laughs> why are you that laughing? That's probably not the case. Uh, but the idea was that she would have crashed on purpose to basically get in with the Japanese and spy on them, or that she was spying on them and got caught, and that's why we don't know. What like like why they didn't be like, hey, we got her sure. because she was like she's a spy and we're gonna kill her now. Um, she faked her death because she wanted out of the limelight. Yep. Too much pressure. That one ties into the rumor that claimed that she uh, made propaganda radio broadcasts as one of the many women compelled to serve as Tokyo Rose. So if she'd been captured by the Japanese, they did all these propaganda radio announcements and things. Um, and it was Tokyo Rose was the name. And so there were a lot of people who were like, oh, that like sounds like her. That could be her. You know, I bet it was her. But it's really, you know, recognizing a voice. I mean, half the time I listen to like, animated movies and i'll be like it's that guy and it's not that guy <laughs> it's somebody else so i was like we all know what voice recognition is about especially in the 1930s um an interesting other theory is that basically she might have turned back mid-flight and uh she would have then tried to reach the airfield at um a Rabal, new britain which is the northeast of mainland papua new guinea which is about 2200 miles from howland so this theory is interesting in a few ways because people are trying to say, you know, well, she could have, like, but if she was running out of gas when she was that close and the crash and sink theory is what's the most popular, then how in the world did she get 2,200 miles back, away, yeah. right? Like, that just is kind of like, okay. But my personal favorite of all of the theories that I think didn't happen at all. Aliens? Um, not close, not, not quite, but assuming another identity. So in November of 2006, the National Geographic Channel aired an episode um, basically of their uh, Undiscovered History series about a claim that Earhart survived the world flight, moved to New Jersey, changed her name, and became Irene Craigmile Bolum. This claim has originally been raised in the book Amelia Earhart Lives by author Joe Class, based on the research of Major Joseph Gervais. So basically, Irene uh, had been a banker in New York during the 1940s and denied being Earhart, uh, filed a lawsuit requesting $1.5 million in damages, and submitted a lengthy affidavit in which she rebuted the claims. But, uh, and then the book's author had to like, you know, take away the the book from the market or whatever. But there's still a lot of people, um, including this National Geographic special that studied the photographs of both women and cited many measurable facial differences um, and some similarities between the two. So, so I know I talked to you about this, but that Netflix documentary, The Devil Next Door, about the guy who is in America who they swear is Ivan the Terrible from Treblinka, the holocaust camps mm -hmm. and they would put their pictures side yep. by side and be like it's got to be the same person it's got to be the same person and i still walked out of that documentary being like i don't know yeah i don't know if that's him or not there could we all i mean i'm sure we all have a doppelganger somewhere yeah and that's the thing genetics are weird right like i mean maybe this woman 
somewhere down her family tree had some kind of tie to her family and that's why there were similarities I like, saw a dude on 90 Day Fiance who looked just like Brian Weiser yeah you sent, sent me that picture. picture it I was, was like, scary oh my god I, I like, want to see this dude looks it was just scary. like Brian Weiser yeah. and I was like he's obviously not Brian but, but he looks just like just Brian like him. and Mary Angel was like that is uncanny I want to see yeah. when you get him on that it was bananas yeah who knows I mean but if that was Amelia, like, what a long con, girl. Did right. she win and, the money? And why? Did she win the money? <laughs> yeah, win right. the money? Yeah. Did she get it? I think more like, um, like I don't know. I watched a lot of Guiding Light as a kid. So I'm like, what if she got amnesia and she yeah. showed up somewhere else? And then she was and like, was like no, that's, that's not, not me. I am. I'm afraid of heights. Or like Anastasia. She was like, I'm just a, a homeless girl. The but we all know that movie, Anastasia right. actually was not murdered. Not the one yeah. who got shot and left in a ditch in real life. But in the cartoon movie where she was like, she's like, you know, she lost her memory, memory of everything before she was like nine years old. She could be a yeah. princess. Why not? Why not? It's, and I just after going through all that, I mean, maybe she was just like, I just can't. I didn't make it. I didn't come around the world. I'm humiliated. I'm going to go to New Jersey and live the rest of my life. That's I don't where know. everyone who's humiliated goes to live, right? I just, Jersey? I just don't. <gasps> I, I just can't. <gasps> <laughs> sorry to all of our listeners in New Jersey. Not sorry. Sorry, Val. Sorry that you're in New Jersey. <laughs> I'm like, you left. I mean, you're not a Jersey. You're not, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm not directly talking Jersey, to Val. But, uh, like. Yeah, it's still there. We're it's gonna lose terrible. all three listeners that we have in New Jersey. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's Amelia Earhart. Well, I mean, there's so much more you can go into there. I'm not going to because I have before, but it's like it's one of those big question marks where I'm like, what what led up to all that? And it's so sad. But yeah, we'll never we'll never have closure. We'll never really know unless the DNA from those bones comes back. And says which, that that was her, which would be pretty great. So the next person I want to talk about was DB Cooper. And I feel like you've either made mention of him before, or maybe I'm just crazy and thought you have on one of your podcasts, or maybe it was Were somebody else. With Mr. Cooper? I don't know. Do you know who D.B. Cooper was? I don't. I don't think we've talked about him. Oh, cool. Then, great. So, D.B. Cooper, um, you've seen this picture? This picture shows up all I'm over media. At it. Right. I'm like, it looks familiar. Right. So, he was basically a hijacker back in the, like, heyday of plane hijackings. Nice. Um, you remember in the 70s, like, people hijacked planes. That was I a mean, thing. I don't remember, but okay, I believe sorry. you. So, in the 70s, people so hijacked before planes. before 9-11. <laughs> yes. Before 9-11, people hijacked planes. And usually, it wasn't to, like, run them into buildings. It was to steal all your shit. Like, right. yeah, we're going yeah, to... No, naturally. We're, like yeah, a train. Right. A normal way the, to hijack but, a plane. Yeah. We're going to take this plane. I'm going to have you freaking, you know... Empty all your wallets. Give me all your money. I'm going to force this plane to land somewhere. I'm going to get off and never be seen again. Y'all are going to go back to your lives without all the stuff I stole from you. That was pretty much the MO. It was was like the Wild West bank robberies of the 70s plane hijacking. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So D.B. Cooper, uh, Dan Cooper, was uh, basically one of the most famous hijackers. And one of the reasons why he's most famous is because he's never been found. He completely disappeared. And people search from him. To this day, it's really crazy trying to figure out what happened. But he basically extorted about two hundred thousand dollars in ransom, which in today's money At would be about time, right yeah. would be about one million two hundred sixty thousand dollars in two thousand nineteen. And then he parachuted out of the plane to an uncertain fate. And that's where people are like, "Did he live? Did he die? Anything?" Sounds like homeboy just pulled off a successful hijacking. It's true. So many FBI agents are of the opinion that Cooper probably did not survive his high-risk jump. 
but his remains have never been recovered. And the FBI has maintained an active investigation for 45 years. Dang. I was like, he maybe not, might have not survived. So you're saying there's a chance. So he so probably survived. There's a chance. There is. Um, a number of numerous That's theories. That's what he said when he was like, so I shouldn't jump out of here, but <laughs> right, you're but saying there's a chance I'd survive? Probably. 200K? Like, I'm going to take it. chance, like a one in a million chance of you surviving. And he was like, I have $200,000. I think I'm going to try it. So a young boy discovered a small cache of ransom bills along the banks of the Columbia River in February of 1980. And the find triggered renewed interest, but ultimately only deepened the mystery and the great majority of the ransom remains uncovered. So it was only a portion, right? Which anything could have happened. Maybe it could have fallen out of his pocket. Or hiking and he like, you know, camped somewhere and didn't grab the rest of it. Or maybe he was robbed after, you know, landing and hiking through the, you know, Washington State. The irony. Who, who the heck knows? I mean, you imagine. Yeah, it's really, really crazy. <laughs> he parachutes down into a robber's campfire. Like, he jumps out. He's already wearing like the cat burglar mask, and he lands. And there's another, another burglar cat burglar right there, and he's like, like, "Okay." <laughs> so there are like 13 suspects in this 45 year case. 13 people. They think could possibly be him been involved with it be people who know do they know anything happening. about him before the hijacking like do they know his backstory who was db who Cooper? was he um is that even his name is he the lizard king what are we dealing with here i didn't get Douglas that information Bartholomew yeah. <laughs> um yes right you know, um, that's a really matter. good question. They don't tell you his background. They're just like, hey, this is play what DB stands for? This is what happened. Well, it's Daniel. Stands for Da Boy. But I don't da know. Boy da, boy. <laughs> da, boy, da Boy robbed us. Da Boy robbed us. Da Boy robbed us. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. No, it does not say that's what if really no one robbed the plane, everyone pulled their money, took a portion, and walked away richer. Could be. That wouldn't make any sense. I don't know. Some people <laughs> would have know. to have walked away with less money. Probably. Unless they all have the same exact amount of money. So the story goes like this. Thanksgiving what if they Eve, murdered a guy named D.B. Cooper who had $200,000 and they threw and, him out of the plane? They landed, they landed the plane in a weird spot. They were like, somebody Someone us. robbed us. <laughs> also viable. I haven't seen it on my list. Um, so the story is that on Thanksgiving Eve in November uh, 24th, 1971, a middle-aged man carrying a black attache case approached the flight counter at Northwest Orient Airlines at a Portland International Airport. He identified himself as Dan Cooper. He used cash to purchase a one-way ticket on Flight 305, a 30-minute trip north to Seattle. Cooper boarded the aircraft. It was a Boeing 727, um, and, it took, and he took seat 18C. And... Uh, that's that, that's by one account and somebody else said he was in 15D near the rear but who knows either way he had an aisle seat so the flight was only about one third full and it departed Portland on schedule and then shortly after takeoff uh, Cooper handed a note to Florence Scheffner the flight attendant situated nearest to him in the jump seat and um, the note basically said uh, miss you better look at that note I have oh no he said miss you better look at that note I have a bomb and so the printed note all neat capital letters with the felt tip pen its exact wording isn't known because Cooper later um, reclaimed it but Schaefer recalled that the note said that Cooper had a bomb 
in his briefcase. After she read the note, um, he told her to sit beside him. And so she did. (laughs) And he proceeded to... But it's um, okay. He's a nice guy. Right. He demanded $200,000 in negotiable American currency, four parachutes, and... From this lady? And these were his demands. This is what he wanted. He wanted four parachutes. Uh, He wanted a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. And um, basically he had uh, the stewardess or the flight attendant uh, convey his demands to the pilots in the cockpit. And when she returned, Cooper was wearing dark sunglasses. So the pilot does what he says, you know, contacts air traffic control and is like, this needs to happen. Um, You know, we... Basically, he lied to the passengers and said, like, we need to be delayed in Seattle. This is going to happen. Right. And so um, he the FBI was there. They assembled the ransom money and uh, from several like Seattle area banks. And of course, um, didn't mark them, but had the serial numbers. So this would be the way you know any kind of bank robbery was usually tracked was like, well, when the serial numbers show up, like, we'll know. So at 5.24 p.m., he was informed that his demands had been made and uh, they were on the ground with everybody in the plane. His demands had been met and they were going to bring all the stuff to him and then he was going to let the passengers go, which he did. And they refueled the plane. So he basically had to keep the pilots because they're going to take off and fly him wherever he wants to go. So at 7.40, this Boeing 727 took off again with only five people on board. Cooper, the pilot... Uh, Scott, flight attendant, um, Mucklow, and uh, co-pilot, Radizak. Are these real names? Radizak. <laughs> and the bomb he apparently And a has. flight engineer, H.E. Anderson. Oh. So then they scramble. The Air Force scrambled aircraft fighters to, like, sort of follow them. And, um, and they tried to do that. And basically... It goes, I'm not going to like read all the how-tos, but the, the story goes that at some point the flight attendant looks back and sees him toward the back and he's like shouting, he's like, you know, leave me alone, like go up front. He had taken off, he had a, like a tie, some things that were found on the plane, but they couldn't get like definitive DNA or like uh, fingerprints from. Mm-hmm. And he pulled, uh, and then at one moment, oh, she he told, at that point he told the flight attendant to go into the cockpit. And closed the door so that she couldn't see him anymore. And when she got in there, she noted that the light saying the rear door was open had popped open. And so he jumped out of the plane at that point. So 727s are like not small planes. Also, the jets are back there, right? So even if you're going to drop out the bottom, like you're going to come into a ton of wash, right? You're also probably going to be way higher than you could probably breathe well um and if it took him that long like it took him until they got up to almost climbing you know flying height like you're yeah so many things you're could happen space <laughs> not, not quite but like yeah you're it's it's bad i'm just like the air up there, I, there's no air right and how you gonna breathe with no air that was him yes and the planes that were behind him never saw him leap from the leap from the plane they saw the door open but they never saw him come out they got sucked up into a jet engine well that would have crashed the plane (laughs) yeah what if he found a little stowaway hidey hole opened the door to make them think that he jumped he stowed away until they landed and then snuck away that is a really good theory that they haven't discussed that's pretty great 
Uh, on the plane, they found his tie clip, uh, eight filter-tipped Raleigh cigarette butts, because he was a smoker. Um, and sometime after the hijacking, the cigarette butts were lost and have never turned up since. So DNA testing of those is out the window. Uh, only four pieces of evidence, two definite and two potential linked to D.B. Cooper, have turned up from 1978 to 19- uh, 2017. They've only been able to find four pieces. Uh, in November of 1978, a place card printed with instructions for lowering the aircraft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter near a logging road about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington. So that would have been on the flight path. On Sunday, February 10th of 1980, eight-year-old Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family on the Columbia River, and that's when he found the money, the little bit of money. So that's number two. And then in 2017, a group of volunteer investigators uncovered what they believe to be potential evidence of what appears to be a decades-old parachute strap in the Pacific Northwest. It was followed later in August of 2017 with a piece of foam suspected of being part of Cooper's backpack. So, like, did he make it? Did he just get pulverized? And those are, like, pieces of him and he was eaten by bears. <laughs> like, somebody yeah. find that money and live in large on it and never spent it? Because that's the thing, is that the money never turned up. Like, serial numbers that were attached to that ransom never turned up. So it's also, it could like... be in the black market. Or if he left the country. My thinking mm, is, if, mm-hmm. he, if he made it, and then, you know, he's in... He went up to Canada. Yep, or jumped a boat and took off to, you know, some other island or somewhere else, then you can easily convert that money, and then we don't got to worry about serial numbers or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's really, really, really strange um what happened to him also you know could still be aliens maybe he, he gets out and then he's flying he's unconscious and and they take off and then all of a sudden there's like this little alien ship that's like what's going on here yoink i mean it's possible who knows this one. aliens Not, are always possible it is um what's interesting about the criminals is all of the profiling that's done on them it, it's like you know a lot of trying to compare the sketch drawing trying to like match up you know same type of person, type, same personality, anybody who had any kind of criminal record. Oh, this person was into like muggings or bank robberies or whatever. Um, there were a lot of copycat hijackers, people who tried very unsuccessfully to do what he did after he like, did it. I was like, it sounds like it was so easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as long as you can parachute. Right? Yeah. So, and also, I mean, it's a briefcase. Right. So nobody actually opened and verified that there was a bomb in there. Oh, this I mean, there definitely the, wasn't. Yeah. There's literally this guy being like, there's a bomb in there. <laughs> being like, oh, no, there's a bomb right? in He's there. Like, you want to check, bitch? Right. Yeah. And she's like, like your money. I'd rather not. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's D.B. Cooper there. It's a, it's a much deeper Damn. well um, and, and all kinds of speculation. I could go into each of the, the theories and the people that, you know, have that are suspects, but it's so deep that. It made my head hurt, but it was, it's really interesting to think about where I'm like, wow, there's a lot of 45 years of investigation being like, what the heck? How how did this man walk off with, you know, basically the equivalent of a million dollars? And maybe he lived out the rest of his life being like, ha ha, suckers, good luck catching me. Like the dudes from Alcatraz. (laughs) Right, exactly. Because they were like, there's no chance they survived. Yeah. So that leads me to my last person. And this one hits home because this one is much more true crime related because we'll never know what happened and the basically piece of shit who I think is responsible is never going to be convicted but I'm like 99% sure it was him but this is the disappearance of Natalie Holloway 
Um, you remember Natalie Holloway? She went on spring break uh, to the Bahamas and didn't come back in 2005. Um, and what's messed up is that um, she was a known partier and a known drinker. All her college or all of her classmates, it was a senior trip, sorry. She was in high school. All her classmates talked about how from like the moment they touched down, girl was drinking. Girl was drinking all the time, drinking, super drinking. Um, like you did in 2005 when you're a high schooler and in a country where you could drink at that age. Um, Ooh. And right, <laughs> we all remember. I mean, same. Um, and uh, what's messed up is that she crossed paths with this guy and I want to get his name right. It's like Vander's suit or something like that. Vander's. Oh, yeah, it's got to start with a Vander. It, it does. Um, basically, he basically, she runs across this local. So he's basically going to school there in Aruba. And um, he's got some friends. And she's basically last seen with them. And her friends are like, you know, we got to leave tomorrow. Our plane leaves tomorrow. Like, you should basically stop drinking and come with us. And she's like, no, no, I'm going to stay and party. Like, I'm having a good time. It's fine. And she gets in Vandersuit's car with his friends. And that's the last anybody sees of her. Next Never day. Never go to a second location. Exactly. Oh, no, right? not ever. Um, they all show up the next day to get on the plane and she's not there and nothing's moved in her room. She never made it back to her room. She's just gone. So now everybody hits the panic button and is like, oh my God, like, let's find out what happened. And so they, of course, immediately interviewed the last guy who was seen with her. And first he says, oh no, like we dropped, you know, we just went out riding around for a few minutes, went to the beach and then we, I brought her back and like dropped her off and that was the last we saw of her. But then the story changes like so because people keep re-interviewing him and re-interviewing him and like stories change and the stories of his friends that were with him their stories kind of change now they start talking about when they dropped her off seeing a guy like all dressed in black like near the hotel and she was outside the hotel like they left her at the like outside and then you know as they were driving away they saw this guy in black like walking toward her and it's like mm, no you know why didn't you say anything about a guy in black why to begin with why didn't she go with? back and check on and, her why didn't right, she make sure she concerned. got into her hotel room then even later he changes the story again to that she was super super drunk and just wanted to sleep on the beach and begged him to leave her on the beach so she could just sleep on the beach and that she went to sleep on the beach and he, and left, he it, left and he her left there. Her there on the beach to sleep it off. Right. <laughs> so it's like the three stories are so very different. Like, oh, no, like we just drove around. I dropped her off. Now it's like, OK, we drove around a little bit. I dropped her off. But there was a weird guy like lurking around when we left. And then it's like, you know what? I didn't even drop her off. I left her on the beach to sleep because she wanted to sleep. So, as, right. He was arrested like three times for him and his friends on different occasions. And every time they didn't have enough to keep him, to convict him. And of course the parents are like losing their minds at this point. Right. They're they're like, just tell us like what happened to our daughter. Like, just tell us. And you know, every time his story gets a little weirder, a little different, he changes something up. So they know he's obviously hiding something, but they can't prove it. And every time they let him go, like they find something else and they're like, okay, we're getting you back. But then it's like, it's not enough. It's not enough. So then at some point, and I can't remember when this was, this might've been like four or five years later. Um, it was crazy because he basically tried to, is it blackmail or extort? Tried to extort her parents for money to show them what happened where, to her? where her remains were. Ugh. Like to be like, you know, I, I didn't do it, 
but I know where she is. And if you want to know where she is, here it is. Extortion. Van, and his name is Vander Sloot. Sorry to get it correct. Um, I'm like, so how much money does his family have? That's probably a lot. Right. I mean, his name is Vander Sloot and he's going to college in the Bahamas. So, <laughs> I mean, or Aruba. Sorry. He's going to college in Aruba. Was he a native? You said he was native, though. No, he wasn't native. And he's a white but, guy. But he's a white guy. But he was living. He had been living there and going to college there. Like, that was his thing. Um, so, basically... He made an offer to reveal the location of Holloway's body and said the circumstance and and the circumstances surrounding her death if he were given an advance of twenty five thousand dollars and then a total of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And he would tell them. Like I can tell other. you right now, she's not the only girl that he's killed. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that basically they they had 15,000 wire transferred to his account in the Netherlands following the receipt. Oh, because by the way, by this time he's left. Oh, of course. So he's doing this all from like afar because he's that kind of piece of shit. Um, and once they, um, following the receipt of $10,000 in cash that was videotaped by undercover investigators in Aruba, authorities stated that the information that, provi- that he provided in return was false because the house in which he said Holloway's body was located had not yet been built at the time of her disappearance. So he basically gave him a false location. So uh, he was charged on uh, June 3rd uh, in the U.S. District Court with extortion and wire fraud. But he's not in the U.S. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So, right. But then five years to the day after Holloway's disappearance, Stephanie Flores Ramirez, a 21-year-old business student, was reported missing in Peru which is where he's hopping around to now. So clearly this dude's got money because he can get around the country. I mean, around the world pretty easily. Um, She was found three days later in a hotel room registered in Vandersloot's name. Told you. I was like, this is not going to be his only victim. So he was arrested in Chile on a murder charge and extradited to Peru the next day. And on June 7th, Peruvian authorities said that Vandersloot confessed to killing Flores after he lost his temper because she... Um, accessed his laptop without permission and found information linking him to Holloway. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he just made the mistake of til- of killing these two girls who had parents. I bet you before then he was killing girls who didn't have families that cared. Yeah. yeah. So in that process, when being questioned kind of like, you know, obviously about this, still maintaining his innocence, but asked like, why did you, why did you then say that you wanted to, you know, show them where the body was. Why did you extort them? And his answer was, I wanted to get back at Natalie's family. Her parents have been making my life tough for five years. Yeah. And then he pleaded guilty on January 11th, 2012, uh, to killing um, Flores, the person in Peru, and was sentenced to 28 years in prison. But he still hasn't confessed to no. Natalie. What about his two friends? Yeah. So they could never get anything that pinned anything on them and they insist that they left him that like he was they were together she was with him when they left and they were like yeah like whatever was going on you know maybe she was too drunk maybe he was obviously gonna like you know do something that she didn't give consent for and they were like yeah peace out we're gone um so they nothing nothing ever became of them they kept looking at them initially but again just couldn't get anything i'm 100 percent sure it was that guy i'm 100 percent sure oh, yeah i'm 100 percent sure that like he knows exactly what happened and we're never gonna know i mean i would hope that 28 years in prison maybe when he becomes an old man he can at least give somebody some closure but i feel like he's enough of a dick that he's gonna be like nah 
Like, you know, I'm taking my sentence for the one person that obviously I couldn't lie about saying I didn't kill. Yeah. So, okay. But um, I'm not even 100% sure that he killed her. I'm thinking it's probably more along the lines of some kind of like crazy alcohol poisoning, but that he didn't do anything to get her help. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I feel like he was probably, I mean, truthfully, I would say sex was involved and he was probably just like, okay. And, and maybe it was an accident. Maybe, you know, she did die, but then, you know, if that's the case, why don't you tell somebody? Why don't you be like, this is what happened. I didn't have anything to do with it. Why do you make up three really elaborate, crazy stories? Maybe he lost his temper with her and freaking knocked her around. Like or he, he drugged her. He freaked yeah. out when she died accidentally and he hit her body. Like, yeah. something to get rid of the body. And then at that point was like, well. Yeah. That's my story now. and I'm not sticking to it. I got to switch no. it around Yeah, I'm bit. changing up everything all the time. Yeah, it's just, uh, but I am glad, honestly, when he did get convicted, even though it was for a separate crime, I'm glad that he, something happened and he went pine bars because for years it made me so upset. Like when this first happened, I just moved to Chicago and I was like, I was all over this case where I was like, I cannot believe this jerk because he was all on the news, like obviously mm-hmm. loving the fame, obviously loving the attention. And I was just like, this is 100 percent wrong. We are literally glorifying a murderer right now and he is getting everything he wants. And then, you know, even after the whole extortion thing, like just like, you know, he would, it was a way of him popping up in the news. When that whole thing went on, it was all like, oh, my God, we're going to finally know. And then I was like, no, just kidding. Like, that's not really uh, what happened. And I'm like, oh, you're awful. And then uh, karma came around and smacked him in the ass. And now he's got 28 years in prison, which I love. Karma got its kiss it for him. totally does. But it's that it's that element of not knowing that whole open endedness. Right. It's that's what keeps people hunting and looking and wondering. And that's why disappearances are so fascinating. Uh, and that's why I wanted to talk to you guys about them. Cause I was like, you know, we haven't really talked about that and it's very interesting to me. So those are my stories. Thanks so much for I like listening them. to me. I they like are good. Them. Yeah, they are good. Even if that's how I feel about true crime is I'm like, I like it. Cause I'm like, this is juicy. But then I'm like, that's somebody's life. Yeah. That's how I feel about my day fiance. <laughs> yeah. Juicy, but that's somebody's life. Somebody's life. It's true. There true, was, true, true. but uh, they also chose to be on that there show. There was an article that I read from BuzzFeed about how, like, if you like Night Day Fiance, then it proves that you're a terrible person who likes bad things to happen. <laughs> and I was like, eh. Um, <laughs> and this is a quote I took away from the article that I really love. It says, "The same questions arise in every episode. Can love conquer all? Are they actually in love? Will everyone accept their love?" The answers are always no, nope, no, no, and, and no. absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyone who thinks differently is a freaking uh, weirdo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, no, well, those are crazy. Thank you, Mary Angela. You're welcome. I'm sorry they don't have happier endings. But no, I mean, that's what disappearances are. So. Yep. In these uncertain times, here's some unended here's stories. Some uncertainty yeah. for exactly. You. Some stories that are completely uncertain. Sit with this. Also, here's some rabbit holes you can stumble down while you're stuck inside your house. Yeah, yeah. each one of these goes deep. So seriously, if Look you want if you want to find out way more, like get go go in there. You know it's Sarah great. loves Reddit, so reach out. I do. Jump on Reddit. And then also reach out to us because we're also stuck in our home. We're all stuck in our homes. We're going to be doing something we're, we're pretty sure is going to still be exciting for our 100th episode, even if we can't do a live show. We're going to, yeah, we're probably like, not going to do a live show. Let's read the room. Um, <laughs> it's not the time for a live show. 
crazy timing. Life is crazy. Yeah. But you can still support our show. The best way, of course, is by subscribing to our Patreon. We have $1, $5, and $15 tiers. And, of course, these are trying times, so if you can't do that, the other way you can support us really, really well is by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you do that and you take a screenshot and send it to us, we will actually mail you a sticker. Yeah, mail's still running. We'll mail's send still it. running. I don't think a sticker can carry it. Um, I think it can be on paper for, like, up to 24 hours, and you know that mail is not going to get to you that fast. So you should be fine. <laughs> But, um, of course, you can email it to us at deadtimestories, all one word with a Z, at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, although you cannot join that Facebook Patreon exclusive group. Until you donate a dollar. Unless you donate to our Patreon. And that's only a dollar a month. It's totally, totally worth it. You get great content and you get to connect with us and some of your favorite people you hear on the show, like Mary Angela, our friend Christina, Val, uh, Colleen. Oh, Colleen, Colleen is, great. is serving it with the memes. <sighs> she is killing it right now. She makes me very happy. I, I, anytime I see something she's posted, I'm like, yes, thank you. She is a cheesesteak assassin. Yeah. Um, she's awesome. She's great. She's great. Uh, so with that all being said, you can follow us on social media. Stuff is going on. Reach out to us. Like, we're all free. Let's have a talk. Let's hang out. Yeah. I mean, you know, via the internet. Within reason. <laughs> like, we, we less, you know, we have to be more than six feet away from each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you guys for hanging in there. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mary Angela. And, and this, this has been Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Kernison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. Amelia was her. I don't know. I just really like that idea of her like scratching her name into the side of her plane. She did. Totally. Like it's her desk at exactly. school. Exactly.